All right, good morning, Crossway. Welcome to our Sunday service. It's always a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you guys. I uh, just want to jump right into our passage in Titus uh, chapter 3. We're continuing to study uh, this book as one of Paul's last exhortations in Titus before he goes on into the final greetings, right? These are the last few lines that he gives us. And if I could give you a little bit of background just as we jump into this, if you remember, Paul was released uh, from prison in Rome two years ago. And he was released from prison two years ago. And uh, he was in prison for two years. And when, once he was released, he and Titus went out to the island of Crete to go and share the gospel. And so they go and share the gospel, and it starts to bear fruit. And several uh, house churches begin to form. And at a certain point, Paul feels conviction now to go visit the Corinthian church. So he installs Titus to pastor over these house churches to take care of them while Paul now goes to Corinth. And while Titus is there, Paul begins to write this letter and sends it to Titus to remind him of how to build a healthy church. He's encouraging him, encouraging him with uh, different pieces of advice and information about how to build a healthy church. What are the spiritual building blocks to build a healthy church? I'm sure if you were looking at the side, you were thinking, what is this Lego piece? But it's just a small illustration. It's my daughter's Lego set. But it's to show that Titus was to build up the church of God. And there were specific pieces that he was to use to build up. So more specifically, in Titus 1, we talk, uh, Paul talks about uh, the qualifications of elders, that the elders should be above reproach, that they should be husbands of one wife, they should not be arrogant. And he says all of these things contribute to the building of the church, to a healthy spiritual church. And then in chapter 2, he talks about the doctrines. He says to keep sound doctrine, that as you begin to... Uh, Defend the faith against false teachers. You begin to build up the church in sound doctrine, in truth in God's word, and the church begins to build up in a healthy way. And what we see in chapter 3, uh, Pastor Sam spoke on it, the idea of good works. That the church is not just supposed to have sound doctrine and good elders and leaders, but it's supposed to be built on good works. That as the church comes together and shows mercy towards uh, those who are hurting and in need, as the church begins to serve one another, they begin to build up the church of God and they build up the kingdom. And so we come to the end of chapter 3, and it's still about building up the church of God, but in a very different way. It's not just about how you build up the church, but now he talks about how we need to avoid certain types of people that don't help in building up the church. But secondly, are there to divide and break up and dismantle the church. So these are the people that Paul tells Titus to avoid as he's building up the spiritually healthy church in Titus chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. So we're going to read it one more time. He says this, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, 
for all of us who are watching on YouTube and we're not gathering at a physical location, this message might seem a little confusing because how are we building up this church when we're not at church? But that's where we have to understand that the church is not composed of bricks, but it's composed of the body of believers, building up the kingdom of God through their acts of service, through the doctrine, through the leaders, through all of these things, through the body of believers, not the physical bricks that are in the church, right? And so here he says there's two types of people to avoid. The first type of person to avoid specifically is the one who talks about worthless and unprofitable things. These are people to avoid. He's, Paul tells Titus there are people that are engaged in foolish controversies, foolish genealogies, foolish dissensions, and foolish quarrels about the law. And what they're doing is they're not building up the church. They're not necessarily dividing the church. This might be unintentional, but they're engaging in unprofitable and worthless talk. Now, the word avoid here is literally to stand around, to be a bystander, to watch from, uh, from the side and not be involved in the action. He's saying avoid this foolish talk because it's dangerous. It's the idea of if you're driving and you see a very uh, bad driver, right? A a person who is driving like crazy and they're swaying from side to side amongst the lanes. And the idea is you don't get engaged in that. You avoid them. You don't drive to the side, look to them and say, hey, this is how you drive. This is not how you're supposed to drive. But instead you slow down and you let that person go ahead because you're supposed to avoid this dangerous driving. And it's in this present imperative tense, which means that it's a command, that Paul is not merely suggesting it. He's telling you this is what you need to do. Avoid these types of conversations. But also it's in the present tense, meaning it's something that we need to habitually do in our lives. That we need to be vigilant about avoiding these types of conversations. And scholars and commentators are not clear exactly about Uh, historically, what types of controversies they're involved in, what types of genealogies they were quarreling about, what dissensions in the law they were arguing about. But the principle still remains that all of this, what they were engaged in, was foolish. That's the common theme of all of these things, that they were foolish. And for us in the English dictionary, the way we would understand foolish is something that is uh, someone who is dim-witted, someone who doesn't Uh, have their screws uh, tied on straight, Uh, someone who would poke an angry bear or jump off uh, the Grand Canyon on a bike, who do dumb and ridiculous things. But here in Scripture, the idea of someone who is foolish is not someone who is intellectually dim-witted, but it's someone who lives with the understanding that there is no God, who lives as if God doesn't exist in the picture. So they live in sinfulness, they live and do whatever they want and say whatever they want because in their minds, God does not exist. And that is the foolish life. The way they talk and the way they argue, they argue as if God is not around to hear them. This is what they mean by foolish. But not only is it foolish, these arguments and conversations and debates are unprofitable and they're worthless. That's what the end of verse 9 says, right? All the talking, all the debating, all the back and forth and what happens? Nothing in the church is built up. In fact, it's almost as if their hands are tied and they're just, or folding their hands across, and they're not doing anything in the church, but merely talking as if they're doing something about it. 
It's unprofitable and unworth and, and worthless. Well, speaking of foolish and unprofitable, there was an article on ChristianPost.com by Tom Rainier, who's a scholar and a pastor. And on Twitter, he asked this question. He says, what are uh, the most ridiculous arguments debates, and debates that you've heard uh, at your church? And so all these people were tweeting and responding, and he gathered all of them together, and he had 25 of them. And I wanted to share a few of them with you guys just to show how unprofitable and how worthless some of these conversations in our churches can be, right? And some of them are here. A 45-minute heated argument over the type of cabinets to purchase, black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. Bobby needs to keep his shoes on, right? That's not even a debate, right? Uh, a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. Uh, a debate over whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not that took two weeks to resolve. An argument over the use of the term pot luck instead of pot blessing because the church doesn't believe in luck. A church member was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee server and it looked too much like liquor. An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. That might be an argument that we might hear, especially in the OC, right? And maybe we're not as ridiculous as this, and maybe we don't get involved with uh, foolish genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law like uh, the church in Crete was going through. But what types of conversations might we be exposed to that are unprofitable, that are worthless, that might be classified as foolish. Maybe the idea of foolish or worthless and unprofitable gossiping. And you might think, I don't gossip. That's malicious. That's the stuff that I stay away from. But, you know, think about it. You know, there, sometimes it's amassed in conversations that start with, you know, please pray for so-and-so. And then the gossip happens, right? Or don't tell anyone, but... Or have you heard? Or you know I love this person, but... And oftentimes it's because we're bored or we have nothing else to talk about or we're really frustrated about something or it's just too juicy of uh, information that we have to get off uh, the, uh, the tip of our tongues. But in the end, it's a selfish thing. It's not to build up the church, but it's either to offend or hurt a, a, a person in the party or in the end, it doesn't build up the church at all by the conversations that we have. Or even for myself, you know, the basketball season has just started. It's very exciting. And along with that, you know, fantasy football is going to start. And how many times at church have you walked into uh, the, the, before you walk into the service? And the first thing you talk about is, hey, did you see the Laker game? Hey, did you, how many points do you need for fantasy in order to win this week? And again, I, I love this stuff. I'm involved in it. And I'm not shooting it down as saying this is completely sinful. But what I am saying is, there are times when we are talking about building up the church, and there are things that are worthless and unprofitable. And it's important for us to have hobbies, it's important for us to have interests that we do outside of work, outside of the family, outside of church. But the question is, when those hobbies become vices, right? When your wants become needs, and they start to move from secondary importance to primary importance, and God knows our hearts, that's when we have to really reevaluate. 
are we doing these just for fun? Or are we really doing it to try and build up our kingdom? And do these end up becoming unprofitable and worthless to the building up of God's kingdom? Because it's one thing for us to think of all the things that we need not to do to stop, to, to no longer uh, stop hurting ourselves from building up the kingdom. But we also have to start thinking about what do we need to do to build up God's kingdom, right? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he has this quote here. If you could follow along, it's a little long, but he captures this perfectly. That we are supposed to turn away from things that are uh, worthless and unprofitable and start to engage our minds and our spiritual aspects in the things that are very profitable and worthwhile. He says this, There are hundreds of questions which are thought by some people to be very important, but which have no practical bearing whatever, either upon the glory of God or upon the holiness of man. We are not to go into these matters. Let those who have time to waste take up these questions. For, as for us, we have not time enough for these things that are profitable and vain. There are, however, some questions we, which are the reverse of foolish, which we must not avoid, but fairly and honestly meet, such as these. Do I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I renewed in the spirit of my mind? Am I walking not after the flesh, but after the spirit? Am I growing in grace? Does my conversation adorn the doctrine of God my Savior? Am I looking for the coming of the Lord and watching as a servant should uh, do who expects his master? What more can I do for Jesus? Such inquiries as these urgently demand our attention. And if we have been given at all, uh, given to cavailing, let us now turn our critical abilities to a service so much more profitable. Let us be peacemakers and endeavor to lead others both by our precept and example to avoid foolish questions. So we're called to avoid the things that are unprofitable, things that are worthless, and to push the things that are the complete opposite, that build up the church, the conversation and the words in our community groups, uh, the one-on-one meetups, the things that we post on our social media. It's not enough to say, I don't talk about these things, I don't gossip, I don't talk about worthwhile things. But now, how do we engage in conversations that actively build up the kingdom of God, that build up the church? Secondly, the group of people that Paul tells us to avoid are those who cause division. Titus 3, 10 through 11, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And again, historically, we don't know the exact types of conversations that they were having, what types of divisive people they were having, but the principle is still true, that we are to avoid those who divide the church. And Paul here, he takes a much serious tone. Not only are you to avoid them, but he literally tells them to kick them out of the church. He says to approach them once, to approach them twice, and if they still do not repent, they're warped and sinful and condemned, kick them out of the church. And this is the process that Jesus himself had given in Matthew chapter 18. So Paul understands how serious this matter is. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in after you, not sparing the flock. So Paul knew how important it was for us to be vigilant about those wolves that come in and try to divide the flock. And so he tells us, that as a church, as the leaders, as members, that we need to be vigilant as 
watchmen on the walls to protect the church from people who try to divide the church. You know, even today we hear of big groups, churches like uh, the Shincheonji church that originated from Korea who purposely, intentionally go into different churches to try and uh, raise up in the ranks of leadership there for the sole purpose of trying to divide and break up these churches. I'm sure many of you have heard of even churches that have pastors who are filled with greed, who try to divide churches and break up churches and split up the churches and take some of the congregation to plant their own churches for their own profit and their own gain. Then you have even small group leaders and uh, leaders within the church who within their small groups will teach uh, doctrine or theology that is different from what that, that the church is preaching. And just recently I heard of a situation where they would take those members in that small group and leave and go to a different church, intentionally dividing the church. And also, you know, you might think, yeah, I'm not part of a cult. You know, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a small group leader. But even something as small as criticism, someone who is criticizing the children's ministry, who is criticizing the pastors, uh, criticizing all the little things, the way we do missions, or uh, the shirt that I might be wearing, or whatever it might be, all these little jabs, eventually will destroy the hearer, will divide the hearer and break them down. Paul tells Titus to disassociate with them, to tell them once, to tell them twice, and then to have nothing to do with them. But why disassociate with them, right? You know, as a Christian, aren't we supposed to engage them and to love them and care for them and be gracious to them and keep bringing them involved uh, and never kick them out? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Well, as a side note, in Scripture, there is a difference between how we treat unbelievers and how we treat believers. That those who are outside of the church, that we're supposed to be gracious to them, to love them, and to care for them. Uh, even in Luke, Jesus says to pray for those enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God wants us to love on those outside of our church. But for the sake of purity within the church, those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, that we, they hold them to a higher standard, hold them to the church values, and so this is what we're called to do, to engage them, to bring them to Christ. And so the, obviously the first goal is restoration, right? To tell them once, to tell them twice, bring them back, to show them their wrongs. But if they don't, to pull them away. Why? Because essentially what Paul says is that you cannot beat trolls. You can't beat trolls, people that have an agenda, who want to uh, divide the church. And, you know, if you've ever been on Twitter and you have Twitter trolls, you know, there's no point in engaging in a Twitter troll. A, a Twitter troll. Like, if they say something against you negatively, there's no point in engaging them. Why? Because their whole goal is to get a reaction out of you. Their goal is not to have a logical and reasonable and rational conversation with you, to argue and debate and figure out the truth of a situation. They just want to say whatever they want, for the sole purpose of getting a rise out of you, to annoy you, to frustrate you. And when they do, they feel like their job has been done. And in the same way, what Paul is saying is that these people, their whole goal is to divide the church. You can go and reason with them. You can try to explain with them. But what they show by not repenting after you go to them once or twice is that their whole goal is to troll you. 
Their whole goal is to divide the church, right? In verse 11 it says, Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. He condemns himself. He proves by not repenting after the first and second uh, approach that all he wants to do is be sinful. He's warped or perverted in his thinking is what scripture says. And he condemns himself. You don't have to condemn him. He judges himself by proving that he does not want to repent from his false ways. They are not here to build up the church. They are here to destroy it. And when it becomes clear that they are here to destroy the church, Paul says, you need to go and kick them out of the church. Not just avoid them, but kick them out of church. That's how serious Paul is about this topic. Now, I thought it was very interesting because during COVID, during this quarantine, what does this really look like, right? You can't kick someone off of our online service, right? And you don't really avoid people uh, who are just watching a service together. What does that look like during our quarantine to avoid foolish talk and, and to kick someone out of our church that is trying to divide the church? And I think one thing that we can really do and actively be engaged in today is this, to think about ourselves and think, how are we contributing to the building up of the church? Are we, one, uh, promoting unprofitable and worthless conversations? Or even in our lives, when we think about it, are we just, the way we're living our lives, are we living a life that does not build up the church? Where when someone sees it, they'll say, yeah, you know, what he's doing or what she's doing is unprofitable, it's worthless, and it's foolish. That, yeah, they're not dividing the church, but they're not also helping the church. Would that classify the way you're uh, building or the way you're contributing to building up the church? Or are you being divisive? Are you dismantling the church? Is your criticism or your intentions, are they doing harm to the church? Or lastly, are our words building up the church? Is our acts of service promoting the church to be built up in a healthy way? Especially during a crisis, especially during this quarantine, how much more important is it that we stay vigilant about serving, about loving on those who are broken and need and help are in need of help? And I know it's a lot, right? We think about all of this, you know, maybe we think, I'm barely holding it together and I, you're, now you're asking me to serve in the church and to build up the church and do all these things. And at one point, it can be overwhelming. And not only overwhelming, but it can also be frustrating because the things that you see in the church, whether it's in the leadership, whether it's in the people that you encounter at church, they're not perfect by any means. You see all the flaws. You see the brokenness. You see all the things that church needs to do better at. There's a sense of frustration. And so you can see that there's a sense of being overwhelmed. There's a sense of being frustra- frustrated that can really uh, cause a, a, a difficult, uh, could, could, could be difficult, sorry, to building up the church. But in those things, in all of this, I want to encourage you guys that we can be confident that the church will not be built up solely by good leadership or by good works or 
uh, by sound doctrine, all of which are superbly important, vitally important. But those are not what will build up, uh, that we can hold our confidence in that the church will be built up in. Because what we know is that in the church, we can be confident that the church is built up first and foremost by the foundation, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is our cornerstone. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 through 22, it says this, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow strangers or fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is important. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It says the whole structure is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone. All of what we preach, all of what we teach, is founded, even in our service, is founded on the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, and His work, and His words, and His service on that cross, so that we might now be blameless before Him. So that now when God sees the church, He doesn't see a pure and blameless church because we've done so many amazing things, but he sees that we have been washed clean by the word and work of Jesus Christ. This is who we cling to. This is who we serve. This is who we live for. And we prepare ourselves for eternity, for when we will be presented at the, as the pure and blameless church before God, as the bride of Christ. So I want to encourage you with that, to cling to the foundation of Christ and to serve and to build up the church knowing that our foundation is firm and secure in His work, in His word. Let's pray.